turn to Acts chapter 19. We've come a long way in the book of Acts. I think the, the last time I was doing a little bit of the work there was all the way back in Acts chapter 9. So I hope everything that's been said since then is good and is true and right. I'm sure it is. I know pastors here handle the word. Uh, but what I thought it would be good for us to uh, locate ourselves a little bit where we are in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 19. Um, we, uh, uh, we are in really a, a sort of the last leg of the book of Acts. Um, there are some commentators who organize the book of Acts in panels. Have you ever seen like a privacy panel? And they kind of accordion out, and there's like multiple different panels. And uh, uh, it would appear that uh, the book of Acts, more so than organizing itself around the missionary journeys or even its characters, Peter and Paul, it seems to really organize itself around these reports that we get on the local church. And there happens to be seven of them. And if you look in Acts chapter uh, 19, verse number 20, we're going to be handling verses 21 to 41. But in verse 20, we have one of those reports. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. That's the sixth of seven reports. Um, uh, there's going to be another one. Uh, let me see if uh, in chapter 28, verses 30 to 31. And uh, it will be the final report and really the final panel. So a panel is kind of concluded with the report. So we're coming into the seventh, or, or, yeah, the seventh and final panel uh, in terms of Luke's argument to Theophilus uh, about um, the church. And there's lots of, not lots, but there are several things that Luke is trying to encourage Theophilus in. And uh, the balance of this panel, this last panel, uh, chapters 19, verse 21, through the end of the book of Acts, is dealing with uh, an important aspect of what Paul was trying to convince Theophilus of. And that is, is that Christianity is not, uh, it shouldn't be an illegal religion, and is not a threat to the empire. Okay. So we would say that this whole last panel, if you're familiar with the word, it's apologetic. It's, it's Luke offering to Theophilus a defense of why Christianity isn't bad and why it in fact is not a threat to the empire, the Roman Empire. And by extension for us today, it becomes very important for us as a church in a community with our own civilization and government that we locate very accurately uh, or understand from the Holy Spirit what it is we should be called out for as a church and equally what we should not be called out for as a church. Are you with me? In other words, there's, there's a legitimate defense of certain things that the church will naturally be a part of but I think as we meditate on the things that are defensible, we find there's a lot of things missing that we often are trying to defend that maybe the Holy Spirit really doesn't have any interest in us being a part of or defending that kind of a thing. 
Okay, so are you with me? Shake your head as if you're with me. Okay, so that's what we're going to find in this whole last panel. So we've already mentioned uh, that we are in the final panel. We just read the sixth, the closing of the sixth panel um, in Acts chapter 28. Uh, the closing of the panel we're currently embarking upon, Paul says, um, it says there that Paul welcomed all who came to see him boldly and without hindrance. He preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. So the book of Acts, although Paul is in prison, ends on a very powerful note. And uh, some argue that this whole last portion of the book of Acts mirrors uh, Luke's handling of the Passion Week of Christ and really Christ's final points of influence. And uh, so he sort of seems to organize it much the same way. Um, so we come into Acts chapter 19, verse 21, and, and immediately we begin to understand, I have headed in, uh, actually beginning in verse number 11, miracles at Ephesus. Uh, we are in the middle of the third missionary journey. Okay, so the panels aren't so much interested in the times of the beginning and the ending of the journeys. That's not how they're organized. The journeys can kind of extend through different panels. So we're in the middle of the third missionary journey. And, and we're, we're, we're in the town of Ephesus. Um, and when we look at Ephesus, and as we really understand it from the standpoint of the history of the early church, it is very hard to underestimate the significance of Ephesus as a center for the spread of the gospel. And hopefully as I begin to say some of these things, some of the verbiage of our own senior pastor uh, 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 should sort of be called to mind. Um, we know that God opened wide a door for opportunity for Paul, but there were many adversaries. He reports this uh, to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 16, 8, and 9. And he is writing that from the town of Ephesus. So we know that Ephesus has been identified by Paul as a very special place. It's a place where there is a wide, wide door open for the gospel, for the propagation of the truth of the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, but there are many adversaries, many adversaries. Uh, we know um, that Timothy, it's a pretty powerhouse name in the New Testament, isn't it? And no one less than the Apostle John himself, which is even a, probably a more powerhouse name, you know, he, these are like, this is the equivalent of like Alistair Begg and John MacArthur, okay? <laughs> these, are, these are the two big names in the early church that if you had them at your church, you were probably, you know, pretty good in terms of understanding. Both those men ministered at Ephesus and were a part of the church there throughout her history. Um, we know that the church herself was the original recipients. Could you imagine that? Of being an original recipient of three of the New Testament books. Obviously Ephesians, which we know to be a circular letter. <coughs> uh, but it bears the name of this city. Um, First and Second Timothy were written by Paul to Timothy, who probably was pastoring in the, Ephes in the church at Ephesus. So they were the original recipients of that on how to put things in order. 
Um, and some commentators believe that not only those three books, but potentially 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John were written as John ministered there in the church at Ephesus, and then obviously the book of Revelation as well. So this church uh, has a critical role to play. Uh, we know that Paul, um, uh, from, his, from his stay there at Ephesus, we, we know that to be, I believe, a stay of about three years, according to the book of Acts. Uh, this is the longest place that he ever stayed. And uh, from this little geographic niche, this church, out from it grew... Uh, a gospel witness and influence to the whole region in the province of Asia. Uh, a church in Colossae was planted, a church in Laodicea, in Hierapolis, in the Lycus Valley. Um, Colossians 4 uh, indicates that, although Paul, it says there wasn't a personal part of that plant, he certainly was influential as it grew out of Ephesus. Some commentators argue that the seven churches in Asia Minor that are referenced in Revelation chapter 2 were planted during this time that Paul was in Ephesus and that Ephesus was the epicenter for that planting. We've already alluded to the idea of Paul's interaction with Corinth. Well, from Ephesus, Paul, uh, we're told in 1 Corinthians 5, 9, writes a letter that Paul calls his former letter. Uh, then sometimes later, he writes 1 Corinthians from Ephesus. We know that Timothy traveled from Corinth to Ephesus and evidently went back to Corinth, returned later to Ephesus. So we have this Timothy interaction, Paul going back and forth, highly influential, highly significant. And then we know that from following Timothy's visit to Corinth, Paul evidently made a so-called very painful visit to Corinth himself, according to 2 Corinthians, and then later returned to Ephesus. And then later on we're told that he wrote a severe letter to Corinth from Ephesus. So we have uh, what is going on here at Ephesus is profound. The church is under the the auspices of the hero of the story in the book of Acts. And who is the hero in the story of the book of Acts? It's the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit is the hero. Um, the book of Acts tells the story of the unstoppable spread of the gospel from Jerusalem to Rome under or propelled by the heroic acts of the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that is active in propelling Grace Church of Mentor in her purpose, in her community, in our day and age. And we're going to observe, did he do a good job? Could he really get it done? What are his interests? What are his values? And the book of Acts helps us to understand what those things are. The passage of interest tonight verses 21 through 41, is primarily an apologetic one for Luke. Christianity was declared an illegal religion. It was believed that it was a threat to the Roman Empire. This passage 
in the balance of the book, we've already mentioned this, of Acts, the balance of the book of Acts, argues otherwise. Christianity was no threat to the empire. Rather, it was the friend of the empire. Luke argues that the Holy Spirit has no interest in usurping empires, only in heroically transforming lives of sinners into saints. This is his interest. And we're going to see uh, all kinds of people testifying to that reality tonight. And as we see that, it's very important that we as a church in a community under a civil government begin to understand what the values of the Holy Spirit are for the church and the community in which she's found. What she needs to be known for, and certainly as a result, what she ought not to be known for within her community. Okay? So that's what we're going for here tonight. So let's observe tonight, in fact, that the, how the Spirit does this. First of all, we see in verses 21 to 22 that the Holy Spirit heroically guides Paul's purpose. So I want us to think about the idea of purpose. He says this, now after these things were finished, okay, as we walk now into the seventh and final panel, this apologetic objective, right at the outset, we see Paul under the influence of the Holy Spirit in relationship to what his purpose ought to be. Now, I will grant, as we read this, now after these things were finished, Paul purposed in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem after he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, saying, after I've been there, here it is, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Rastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. I would grant, um, to those of you that know your Greek, that we could just as easily translate that Paul purposed in his own spirit, small s, to go to Jerusalem. And in fact, if you looked up a standard Greek lexicon, it would argue that this is simply an idiom with no supernatural implications. Uh, it can be translated small s or capital S, and it's translated both ways. So the question we want to ask is how does our NASB translators translate this? Is it with a capital S or a little s? Okay, so the question is why? Well, if we were to read further in Acts chapter 20, verses 22 to 23, Paul, as he's executing this, this spirit-induced purpose, says that he is bound by the Spirit, and there it's very clear, it's the Holy Spirit that he's talking of, to go to Jerusalem in that case, but again, Jerusalem is just a stop on his way to Rome. So the question of purpose, how does that work out for Grace Church of Menor? Well, the Spirit working through Paul, I'm sorry, how does it work out for Grace Church of Menor? Well, I would argue that the Holy Spirit still settles the question of purpose for the true church today. The Spirit's means is no longer direct revelation. In other words, we're not apostles. We don't have sort of this ongoing dialogue with the Holy Spirit. We don't have that. Frankly, I'm very thankful that we don't have that. But what we do have is we have the completed canon of the Word of God. We have something that the... Uh, the author of, of Hebrews, I believe, tells us is even better than 
uh, uh, Jesus himself as a revelational vehicle. We have the Bible. We have uh, the canon of the New Testament. We have a more sure word of prophecy. And, and the reality of Jesus is he's corporal and he's local. And, uh, but the Bible can be disseminated and can be in the hat laps of everybody. Uh, it, it has the inspired authors. Uh, so, so the word of God, authored by the Holy Spirit of God, is what should be determinative for the purpose of Grace Church of Menor. Now, we talk about that corporately, right? We have a mission statement, don't we? And I remember uh, Pastor Tim and I, when I was just a, a little fledgling, uh, we spent a long time, he and I together, uh, trying to craft what we knew was in Bob Potter's heart, and the elders' hearts. And, and we, I remember Dave, I don't know if he remembers this, but we worked on this mission statement. And, and our, our guiding light, our guiding uh, beacon was the Word of God. Nobody was sitting there trying to hear the Spirit audibly. You know? Uh, if anybody ever claimed to hear that, it would be interesting to know what he sounded like. I always joke about that. I mean, does he sound like Morgan Freeman? I mean, man, that's who I think he would sound like. Or, You know? Uh, he doesn't speak audibly today. He's given us his word. So it became very important for we as elders to, number one, make sure we're walking in the spirit. We're having our devotions. We're praying. We're learners, lovers, and worshipers. We're filled with the spirit. We're trying to demonstrate the love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, faith, temperance. We're disciplining ourselves unto godliness. And, and, and we're serious. And, and so as we sit down and put our feet under the table and as we're deciding, God, what is your purpose for Grace Church of Mentor today? We are, in fact, looking and listening to the Spirit as he teaches us corporately through the Word of God. So as we think about an apologetic, as we think about what is defensible, one thing that ought to be defensible for Grace Church of Menor is the fact that we are men and women of the book. We are wholly and solely dependent on the Word of God. This is what we want to be crucified for. This is what we want to be persecuted for. Simply because we believe the truth claims of the Word of God. And we seek to live them out. The Holy Spirit is determinative of our purpose, not our own flesh. Obviously, that's a progressive reality, right? Uh, my flesh is still pretty determinative at times, but it has to be corrected by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. That's me individually. Each one of us are members of this church. We're doing that individually and then corporately. We're looking to the Word of God. So the Holy Spirit heroically guides Paul Guides Paul's purpose. The Holy Spirit wants to heroically guide your purpose for life. That's what he wants you to do. Uh, I saw that um, uh, Harry's, uh, or not just Harry, but the idea that there's a financial Bible study meeting tonight, I think, or was at least in here. Anyway, there's one coming up. I don't see Harry going like this or anything. Uh, but the idea is that God's word has a lot to say about how we are to manage this, the area of our life in terms of stewardship in relationship to our wealth and resources, time, talents, money. This might specifically be in relationship to our finances. 
The Holy Spirit wants to heroically teach you the purpose for the resources he's given you, dear church men and church women. And as we do that together, and as we just submit to that and realize that this is what the Holy Spirit does, you know, we want to make sure that we uh, understand what he does and what he doesn't do. You know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit. Of, he gets credit for a lot of things that he's not doing anymore. <laughs> but all the things that he's really doing and wants to do, nobody gives him credit for. Nobody likes to be told how to spend their money. I get that. I went through that class, and I'm still agonizing through the implications of that class. The, the Spirit of God wants to teach me the purpose of why he's given me what he's given me. Not only in, not only in my finances, but in the time that I have, in, 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 in the talents that I have, in every part of my life. He wants it. He wants it. So corporately, individually... <clears throat> we are to properly understand our purpose in the Spirit. Where and how you determine per where, where and how do you determine purpose for life? Is the Word of God central in determining the purpose of this church, the purpose of your attending this church, and the purpose of your life? I hope you give due consideration to allowing the Holy Spirit to be definitional when it comes to your purpose in all area of life. So not only does the Holy Spirit heroically guide purpose, but he also heroically changes lives. He heroically transforms lives of individuals. And this is what we should be defending. This is defensible. This is what the Holy Spirit wants us to put our necks out for. This is what he's interested in. Verse 23, about that time there occurred... Uh, no small disturbance concerning the way. Very interesting. Uh, this idea of the way is, 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 a, is a metaphor for the early church. Um, this metaphor was used in Jerusalem earlier in the book of Acts, and guess where it's being used now? Again, identifying the significant nature of Ephesus. It's being transferred to Ephesus, the Gentiles. It is here now that the way, uh, the way is, 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 is uh, prospering. The way, for a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who, who made silver shrines to Artemis, was bringing no little business to the craftsmen. These uh, he gathered together with the workmen. So he kind of gathers the, uh, 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 what do you call that? Uh, Dave, what are you a part of again in our community? What? Thank you. He gathers the Chamber of Commerce together. This is essentially what, what uh, Demetrius is doing. Uh, we haven't gone public yet. He's just kind of gathered the cronies here, the men who are interested, again, uh, his Chamber of Commerce, and he has a little chit-chat with them. These he gathered together with workmen of similar trades and said, Men, you know that our prosperity depends upon this business. You see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, that's pretty powerful, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a considerable number, number of people saying that gods made with hands are no gods at all. Not only is there danger that this trade of ours fall into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis, 
uh, be regarded as worthless. This temple that historians that were alive at the time uh, uh, ranked it among one of the seven wonders of the world. And if that wasn't enough, it was ranked as the number one wonder of the seven wonders of the world. And this is, this is a huge reality. It's a building probably the size of uh, Grand Central Station in New York City. Uh, it was opulent beyond uh, description. And, and everybody who visited proclaimed that this was by far and away the number one wonder of the ancient world. And it was this, the influence of that temple, that the gospel, with a simple message, what was the simple message? That gods that are made with human hands are no gods at all. Robert, can you say that? I think you could, right? I mean, it doesn't take any great seminary scholar to go into a community and, and you're a scholar, Robert. I don't mean you're not a scholar. I'm just saying that's pretty simple. That's something that all of us can sort of expose. In the community of Eastlake and Painesville and Mentor, wherever we find ourselves, to be somebody whose life betrays the truth that gods made with human hands are no gods at all. And have a life that is, that is arbitrated or directed uh, by the Lord Jesus Christ. A God who is not made by human hands. A God who is self-existent, who is the creator of the universe. Um, so this is, this is the great threat to this temple. Uh, uh, the world will worship will even be dethroned from her magnificence, it says there. So the first thing we want to note here, uh, well, not the first, I've already noted a few things, but one of the things we want to see here is confrontation was for nothing more than the results of the life-changing message of the gospel. And that's very important. Churches can get caught up in all kinds of different things that the Holy Spirit has no interest in. They are indefensible. They are things that the Holy Spirit just doesn't really think it's worth getting all worked up about. But there is one thing that the Holy Spirit's very interested in us making a defense about, and that is this truth. The God of the Bible is the only true and living God. He is self-existence. He is not made with the hands of men. And it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of this kind of a living God who does not operate based on your whims and your ideas and what you think ought to be. He is infinite, eternal, self-referencing. He doesn't stop and ask your opinion. He pursues his interests, his holiness. And it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of that guy. See, the greatest threat that our community has and the greatest threat that you have is falling into the hands of God who's living all on his own with no reference outside of himself. That is your threat. That's my greatest threat. That's threatening. 
So I better figure out what, what, what God wants, right? And what he desires, you know? But this is all that the Holy Spirit exposes through Luke that was worth defending. Uh, you go back to verse 11. We see this crazy things going on with the... Uh, uh, God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Uh, there's extraordinary work um, so that handkerchiefs and aprons were even carried from his body and, and, and the sick. And then you have these, these sons of... Um, uh, Siva, these Jewish exorcists, trying to cast out demons. And, and the, the demons themselves say, Jesus we know and Paul we know, but who are you? And they give these guys a, a, just, a, 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 just a, they beat them up. I mean, that's powerful. And then you see there in verse number 17, this became known to all. And fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. And then look what happens. We have life-changing things again. Many also of those who had believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books and began to burn them in the sight of everyone. They counted up 50,000 pieces of silver. That, there's no indication of what that coin exactly was, but it is hundreds of daily of, of yearly wages this is literally millions of dollars probably you know i remember uh being in college and um you know i kind of got the tail end of the 70s and you know there's a lot going on in the 70s there's a lot going on in the local church in the 70s and uh, there was a there was a wing of evangelicalism that believe that we were now supposed to not separate from the world, but infiltrate it and to become like it so we could win it. And that primarily um, demonstrated itself first and foremost in youth groups. And those youth groups embraced the world's music, embraced a lot of what the world was doing. Uh, a lot of the Christian contemporary music industry sort of sprang up in that era. And then there's a great pendular shift to the other side, which was the fundamental church where, you know, they started measuring lengths and necklines and, you know, everything was, there's a very legalistic kind of scare uh, because, <laughs> you know, the, the complete normal church life had been eviscerated. And now, you know, so there's all this, and there's this, you know, the, the, the calls were for surrendering and for, uh, you know, records and burning records and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and a lot of, you know, a lot of my era, you know, we kind of young men kind of snickered at that. You know, in sort of our arrogance of how, you know, that's dumb. But, but the reality is, you know, and I'm, I'm not saying that all that went on there was right, but, but the, the heart of that, is exactly what's going on here. That there is a radical change that the gospel makes in the life of an individual, and he wants nothing to do with the world system. And um, uh, so, so, the, so, so the question then is uh, this life-changing thing. This is what's so disturbing, and this is what the Holy Spirit believes is defensible in the life of an individual. 
a lot of things that are indefensible, but having a life change, having a life-changing message that idols made with human hands are no gods at all, and the radical change as a result of extraordinary work. Now, we don't do miracles. You know, I can't give you my hanky, you know, and, and Ed, you get healed or whatever. So what is the extraordinary work that the Spirit is doing in the church today? What is that? Well, I'll tell you what it is. It's even more amazing. It's, it's that I am learning how to be a lover, learner, and worshiper. My character is being changed from the inside out. I am being conformed in the image of, of divinity. I am, I am learning what it's going to take to walk and talk with Jesus 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and I'm going to be ready when it's my opportunity. This is extraordinary. I am the extraordinary work that the Spirit is doing in the church today. You are. Or we ought to be, right? We ought to be. And this is extraordinary. This is, this is what's demonstrable. This is defensible. This is what's interesting. What's, what's of interest to the Holy Spirit. So can you identify the extraordinary work of the Holy Spirit at Grace Church of Mentor? Have you seen that? Are you a part of that? Are you yourself an example of that extraordinary work? Is the Holy Spirit heroically present in your life, changing you, changing you, changing you? Right? Just like we say in Kids for Truth. I know I need to change. That's the simple conviction of the church. I know I need to change. And God's word changes me. That's the irreducible minimum. That's what's defensible in the church. It's a group of people who know they've got to change. And they have the power to do that in the word of God. We are not happy and content with where we are. We want to grow. We want to grow. We know we have a lot of that to do. What is your great commission <laughs> in your community? Is the only reason people have to confront you is because of the simple message of the gospel you give? And I hope so. You know, we, we want to make sure that we only have one commission in our community, primarily, that we're truly known for. And that's our love for the Lord Jesus Christ and the fact that he can change your life just like he's changing mine. And oh, by the way, gods made with human hands are no gods at all. You, know, you can throw that in there too. All right? So that's what you want to be known for. You don't want to be known for blowing up about this or being passionate about that or having all the details about this. I mean, those things are, may have their place, but that's not what we ought to be. We want to join the Holy Spirit's interests in, having, in seeking the, the heroic change of lives, ourselves and others. So the Holy Spirit heroically guides the purpose of the church, changes life. Thirdly, uh, the Holy Spirit heroically utilizes a variety of resources. And I love this, 28. Whether you're a traveling companion, a friend, part of the church, the Holy Spirit's going to use you. It's going to be painful at times. When they heard this, they were filled with rage. This is uh, um, Demetrius's group. They began crying out, saying, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The city was filled with confusion, and they rushed with one accord to a theater. Uh, historically, this theater holds 25,000 people. 
Um, so now it's all going public. Uh, it's not just uh, the, com the, 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 the commerce group, it's now public. And so who gets dragged along? Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions. Uh, the Spirit of God heroically uses them, or they're a part of this. Um, we see, uh, uh, and when Paul wanted to go into the assembly, the disciples would not let him. God used not only Gaius and Aristarchus to sort of take the burden and the brunt of the anger of the mob rather than Paul, but the disciples stood in Paul's way. They literally would not let him go. Now, there's other passages of scriptures where Paul goes, regardless. But here he does not. So the disciples are used of God in their wisdom. Uh, and then there's these Asiarchs. These are unsaved rulers, probably ceremonial rulers, in the city of Ephesus who happen to be the friends of some of these people and Paul as well. And they say, look, Paul, don't, don't go. You're a knucklehead if you go out there. It's crazy. You know, Pastor Tim is always encouraging us to have friends in the community. Right? And, uh, and here we have a very simple example of that. These were influential men, probably unsaved, who were the friends of Paul and some of these people. And they were interested in the well-being. And this is really to Luke's apologetic point. I mean, if the Asiarchs say that Paul and the Christians are okay, then certainly the empire must think, or should think, that Christianity and Paul is okay. They're no threat! This is part of that apologetic undercurrent that Luke's making to Theophilus. We're not threatening. All we're interested in is seeing people changed. And changed people are of a great value to the empire. They will be, trust me. And uh, so we have that here. So God uses all kinds. Traveling companions, disciples, Asiarchs, uh, and... Alexander, this other gentleman who's an unsaved man, he didn't get a time to speak. He was an unsaved. He was shouted down. He was not allowed to speak. The Holy Spirit heroically does this. Uh, Alexander was probably going to give up and give a defense for the Jews that, hey, this isn't the Jews. This is those wicked people of the way. They're the bad people. But the Holy Spirit didn't even let him talk. Some believe later on when Paul, or, or maybe it's John, somewhere in the New Testament, somebody warns against Alexander, I think the coppersmith or something like that, that it may be one and the same people here. But we're not sure about that. But the beautiful thing is, is the Holy Spirit heroically says, no, thank you very much. We have enough trouble as it is. So you're just going to get shouted down and you're not going to get to talk. And uh, so that's a beautiful thing. God can, uh, the Holy Spirit will propel uh, those who, even though it's difficult and it's hurtful, these men were hurt, uh, but, but, but this is a fertile field uh, for the Holy Spirit uh, to work. So what role does the Spirit of God have for you to play? Are you willing to take up your cross daily and to bear it, that cost? Uh, I don't think Gaius and, and Aristarchus got up you know, thinking that they were going to be dragged around by a mob. Uh, I don't think the disciples felt like on any given day they were going to have to do what they had to do with Paul. Uh, 
but we never have record of them bemoaning it. We never have record of them denying it in their life. In fact, Paul commends these men because they were willing to take it for the cause of Christ. We are all gifted. The Spirit of God has gifted each and every one of us. We have a role to take in this church. We have a message to share with our community. Are you willing to take it? The Holy Spirit works through men and women who, who take it and walk and run with it. It's a fertile field here. Uh, and again, the whole issue is about uh, this, these changed people. They're, they're, they're problematic. They're not buying our little trinkets anymore. All of these people who are coming to the temple, they no longer come into the souvenir shop and want to buy a little statue of Diana. And we're, we're losing it. <laughs> so they stir it all up. <coughs> uh, the Holy Spirit... Uh, commends that because they're, it's stirred up for the right reason. And, and, and it's, it's very instructive what they say. These people just are so changed that they're not buying our stuff anymore. It's not that Paul, uh, well, we'll see it here in a minute. Uh, uh, number four, then the Holy Spirit heroically employed the civil government. This is verse 35 to 41. Verse 35, uh, we have then uh, this mayor probably, uh, speaking up. Uh, he's called a town clerk. I think uh, the idea of he's a scribe, if you will. I think the Greek word is grammatus. He quiets the crowd. The town clerk says, men of Ephesus, what man is there, um, what man is there after all who does not know that the city of Ephesus, of the Ephesians is guardian of the temple, the great Artemis, and of the image which fell down from heaven, probably a meteorite, so since these are undeniable facts, you ought to keep calm. I just think of those, those, those cups. Keep calm and whatever. Row on or... I, I just have that in my mind. We could use a t-shirt. Keep calm and do nothing rash. And do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are what? They're not robbers of temples, nor are they what? Now that's instructive. It wasn't the goal of the early church to run around and blaspheme everything that everybody in the community was doing that was anti-God. That's not what they did. They had really no interest. It's, it, it's sort of like that, you know, the counterfeit. Have you heard that illustration? I mean, you know, it, it would be insane trying to know every little counterfeit trait that's out there. So what's the goal? Good, to know the authentic one. And that's what the church does. We don't worry about all the, all the, trying to figure it all out out there. We just know the authentic one. Or you'd say, look, Jesus has been everything to me. My life has changed. And I can tell you that. And I can base it on the passages of the Bible that you need that too. So it's very instructive that they're, they're not robbers of temples. These people aren't out to try to, you know, let's all not shop at Target so that the gay people can really get crushed. If, if, I, I don't know, but to me, that's a, a cultural equivalence here. I think. They didn't live their lives to rob the temple. They just lived their life. 
Now, if you don't want to do Target, that's fine, or whatever. I don't know which store it is currently, you know, or whatever. But my, my point is, I don't think it's, it, it's germane. Nor do they blaspheme. You know, this isn't, they're not known in their community for everything that we hold dear in, 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 in this, this temple, this wonder of the world. They're not walking around blaspheming it all the time. Interesting. Complaints are handled in courts, he says, with pro-councils. Bring your charges there. Settle it in a lawful assembly. Uh, we're in danger of being accused of a riot, he says. And he says this, and very interesting, in verse 40. Since there is what? There is no real cause for it. This whole, this whole fervor. That's what Jesus loves about the church. A defensible point about the church is when she's focused on a life-changing message, and that's all she's doing. Uh, uh, there is no real cause for the tumult and the, and the froth, and that's what we want to be. We want to be those kinds of people. So is there any merit in blaspheming the false religion or despising the civil government? I don't think so. What is Paul's method? Verse, number, verse 13. Go back up there, uh, and he, you know, we, we see him... Uh, but also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus saying, I adjure you, uh, by Jesus whom what? Paul simply preaches Jesus. That's it. And then what else does he do? Then? Not just that, but in verse 8, go back up a little even further, and he entered the synagogue and continued to speak out boldly for three months doing what? Reasoning? and persuading over a three-month period of time. He's not in a hurry. You don't have to be in a hurry. It's not what the Holy Spirit wants. He wants us to... This is a reasonable faith that we have, that men can be reasoned with. Uh, we see that again in verse 9. Uh, maybe I read it there. But when some were uh, becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the people, he withdrew from them and took away the disciples. He goes from the synagogue, now he goes to the school of Tyrannus, but he does the same thing. He's reasoning daily with them. This is apologetics. This is what we do. So, conclusion. Luke, uh, 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 defense for Christianity, uh, uh, that its leader, the Holy Spirit, has no interest in usurping empires or cultures, or civilization. The desire of the Holy Spirit is simply to heroically transform the lives of sinners to saints, individuals. The work of the church is the individual, and it expects a supernatural work to the individual. That's what the church does. The gospel is not to change a culture and deal with things governmentally. That's not what the church does. We're individual and supernatural. That's what our interests are. This is what the church does. Each and every one of us should be able to look our communities in the eye and have one sincere interest and desire for them. A desire to share the transforming love and message of the Lord Jesus Christ. May our communities know us not as blasphemers, but as being consumed with what consumes the hero of the church. They should hear us sharing it and Equally important, see us seeking to live it. 
May the Spirit make rapid advance in our hearts His purpose to press the gospel message to a lost and dying world in our community. And, and may it be said of us, what rings in our ears about the church at Ephesus, I have this against you in Revelation. You have lost your first what? Love. Love. Evidently, a lot of other things began to overshadow this very simple interest of seeing lives changed, of this very simple message, gods made by human hands are no gods at all. And when you get saved, you really get saved. Your life has changed. That's it. That's the first. And that's what made this geographic location so incredibly historically Significant. And that's what Pastor keeps telling us. He tells us, look, folks, you know, we have arch, and that's a wonderful thing. But unless this church, these people are making disciples in their communities, all of that is meaningless. And that's exactly the lesson of Ephesus. And we can we can do a world's work out there, but unless each and every one of us are, are daily pursuing uh, the pity of our community and our lost friends and neighbors and seeking them and reasoning with them, uh, then, then it's a hollow thing. And the Spirit of God obviously won't be interested in it. And, you know, it, it's, like, it's not death, but he will take the lampstand out of this place and put it somewhere else. That's just how it works. That's how it works. The Holy Spirit doesn't need us. There's plenty of uses out there. Uh, he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I personally would love to be a part of it. <laughs> you know, I don't, you know, please, 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 please let me be a part. You know, I remember that I was a kid with getting picked on, you know, I always had my older brothers and you always wanted to play and, you know, that's how I feel. I want to play. I want to be a part of this church thing in a way that's pleasing to God. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the instruction. Lord, uh, this is history, and we're simply trying to observe some historical truths. Uh, we, we see uh, that uh, Luke is interested in what is defensible, and he's going to teach us what the Holy Spirit wants us to be about the business of defending. And we see some very simple things, Lord, and we pray that you'd help us to orient our lives to being a Christian whose life is constantly being changed by the power of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God and our purposes, everything we do, that we're about that glorious agony, as Pastor reminds us. And, and, and uh, we pray that corporately together we'd be known in our communities, not as blasphemers or robbers of idols. That's not our interest, Lord. Uh, our simple interests are for individuals. That's all we desire, individuals to become disciples of Jesus Christ. And you'll take care of all the other stuff. And I uh, pray that we'd all find our spot and our way. And uh, we thank you for it, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.